Welcome back to the Money Matters podcast that is powered to you by Coinbeast. If you're new here, my name's Luke. Today, I've sat down for an interview with the one and the only Alex Spetsky. We talk about his recent article, Fire, Bitcoin, and Teleportation. And as the title of the article kind of suggests, we're going to be talking about all things alien, with the rate filter, the Kardashev scale, and we're going to be discussing all sorts of other things. And of course, how Bitcoin fits into the great filter thesis, and it could potentially push us towards becoming an intergalactic space traveling species. We're going to be talking about a lot. Before we jump in, I want to quickly thank today's show sponsors, who is, of course, Swan Bitcoin, the Foundation Passport Hardware Wallet, and the Bitcoin Miami 2023 conference. You'll hear more from those guys later on into today's podcast, but let's get straight into this one with Alex. And Alex, I'm going to welcome you to the podcast. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. How are you doing today? Thank you, sir. Good to be here. And... Uh... Speaking to a fellow Balkan Australian who's escaped from the shithole. There you go. If you uh, don't like Australian accents, turn off now because Alex and myself are both. Well, did you grow up in Australia, Alex? I grew up there, but my accent's not as bad as yours, bro. Jesus, your no. your accent kills me. It's the fucking. <laughs> you sound like you're fucking the maddest bogan. It's terrible. It's gonna, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna infect me. But anyway, I'll. Uh, I'll try. I'll try to keep my more measured accent going. Yeah, well, one of us needs to be a little bit more measured, Alex. Uh, any anyone listening in who knows their Australian geography, don't grow up in Tasmania for nineteen years. I, I like to say Jesus. that's why <laughs> my accent is so strong. But Alex, we could talk about Australia for all day. I would love to jump straight off the deep end and start discussing your very, very thought provoking article. Uh, fire, teleportation, and Bitcoin. What gave you the impetus in writing that absolute beast of an article? Thank you, sir. Um, uh, the the impetus was probably two things. One was I read a book called Energy and Civilization by Vaclav Smil, which uh, I know you've been going down uh, that rabbit hole recently. Um, brilliant physicist and engineer kind of mind. Um, surprisingly, hasn't come across Bitcoin yet, uh, unfortunately, but that's what people like you and I exist for is to take those ideas and kind of loop them in and find the parallels. But I'm sort of listening to that or I don't know if I read it or listened to it, but um, what, what I found was this sort of idea of you know, energy as this, the, the universal currency and how humanity has actually evolved alongside uh, harnessing greater amounts of energy and it's it's an extraordinary book, and as I was sort of saying earlier, it's unfortunate that people like Vaclav uh, haven't sort of come across Bitcoin. But you know, it's obviously our job is to kind of read that kind of stuff and find the elements that that come across and that you know map over the things we've learnt and understood about Bitcoin. So anyway, that that sort of inspiration, alongside some other things. I think planted the seeds and then what what sort of triggered the name and the idea was an offhand conversation i was having with francis uh, and madex while we were in uh, miami during bitcoin 2021 and i think it was it, it was francis that sort of said something offhand he was like you know people don't realize how big bitcoin is you know there, there was like sort of fire and then you know nothing that significant happens in you know until bitcoin and you know probably nothing ever that significant is going to happen until teleportation and you know it was kind of like a joke but I kind of took it and ran with it. And the next day during the Toxic Bitcoin Maximalists um, uh, panel at the Bitcoin conference with Nico and Young Lurk and Dr. Bitcoin uh, MD, we jumped on and we talked about it. And, and it's, on, it's on YouTube. If people type in five Bitcoin teleportations, Fetsky, they should be able to find it. And I do sort of like a little riff. And since that time, I think that conference was in like April or something like that, or March or May, some, some, somewhere around there. Like, I intended to write a piece on that. And, you know, the, the sort of the idea festered and grew in my mind. And it wasn't until November that I sat down and just smashed it out. And I, I still think to this day it's one of the best, if not the best, Bitcoin article that I've written and uh, I published it in the Bitcoin Times edition four, which people can go and, you know, check out at bitcointimes.io. It's um it's in there with Brandon Quidham's work, with uh, Alan Farrington and Thomas Strolat and stuff like that. It's a magnificent collection of essays. And 
in there like visually it's fucking gorgeous and um and yeah it's uh as i said i think one of the more profound articles without blowing smoke up my own butthole and you know not blowing smoke up your ass because you're a fellow australian i think it's probably the best piece you've written and i personally think it's probably one of the best pieces i read in 2022 really does actually put bitcoin in the framing that it should be put in everybody's Mm -hmm. really underestimating just how big of a technological innovation bitcoin is and you kind of putting it alongside fire uh, is enormous and for i suppose for anyone who you know might be unaware of just how important fire is for homo sapiens and our evolution maybe you could start us off there alex and kind of for anyone new listening in how important is fire to you know making us who we are today well there's this I mean, we, we can never know, right? Th- these are sort of all postulations and hypotheses, you know, unless we can go back in time to sort of really trace this, uh, we'll never really know. But the, the understanding and, you know, the, the evidence seems to suggest this is that there was an experiment by whatever our proto-humans were of what's called bipedalism, which is kind of getting up and walking on two feet. And... I, th- I think Vaclav talks about this in his book is that you know, bi- bipedalism is, was more energy efficient than um, uh, quadrupedalism. So instead of being on uh, four legs, sort of getting up on two legs. Now, you know, there's a bit of instability with that, you know, so you're always sort of balancing yourself. But if you can get that figured out, then you decrease the amount of energy required for mobility. Um, and, you know, then that has an interesting effect is as you decrease the energy required for mobility and you're consuming the same amount of energy, you know, where do those calories uh, go and, you know, sort of what develops uh, around that. And, you know, sort of the idea there is that, you know, the, the brain and the hand together and, and what's his name? Spengler. Um, his, his first name is, uh, is not coming to mind at the moment, but he was a, he was a late 1800s, early 1900s um, sort of philosopher who most people call right wing, but the guy was brilliant. He wrote a book called man and techniques where he kind of talks about the, um, you know, the eyes and the hand being how human beings, uh, homo sapiens in particular, basically became the apex creature on the planet is because, you know, the eyes allow us to perceive the world and the hand is the appendage that allows us to um, manipulate the world around us. Yeah, I'd call it as it is, and that article is an absolute ripper. Uh, like, it actually kind of tries to explore a lot of these big picture questions uh, that most people don't ask themselves. Like, obviously, we are the only sentient species that we know of, and everybody kind of, you know, they talk about aliens. Everybody's talking about UFOs these days, actually. Uh, we've all yeah. seen the recent videos flying around, but nobody stops to actually ask themselves the question, you know, why is it only us? Why mm-hmm. after four and a half billion years is only Homo sapiens running around here on the planet? So maybe that gives us a good opportunity to talk about uh, something you touched on in the article called the Great Filter. Yeah. So yeah, th- this one is. Um, so I did a shorter Great Filter dedicated article for Bitcoin Magazine. Actually, I think it was. I think it was a few months after I wrote this one, or something like that. It was in the Moon edition. For, for Bitcoin Magazine. And I, I, exp- I think it's more in-depth in this piece in Five Bitcoin Teleportation. And the, the concept is, you know, you've got this Fermi paradox, right? And that's the idea that you look out into you know, the, the night sky and the galaxy and there's so many planets and so many stars and so much stuff out there. And, you know, the probabilities that there's other life out there seem higher so then the question is why do we not see anything else and you know there's all sorts of theories but one of them specifically is uh i think the guy's name was robin hansen or something like that he put forward uh this idea of the great filter which is a sentient species has to go through a whole series of steps uh, before it can become intelligent enough to build uh technology and tools such that you know intergalactic or interstellar uh communication can occur and he's he's got i think it's eight steps in his his great filter it's like you know a distance from the sun 
and then you know a level of you know oxygen nitrogen sort of like a, a, a gaseous uh, atmosphere and then that needs to sort of give way to uh you know early proto life basically uh you know whether uh proteins or rna or something you know something like dna and then that sort of needs to evolve to the point where you get uh sexual reproduction um, and then sort of stepping forth from that. And, I, and I'm trying to remember all of this off the top of my head, but, you know, beyond sexual reproduction is, you know, then the the development of a species, you know, more like human beings. Um, and then you get um, from there sort of tooling and then get to the point where you can be, you can transmit, you know, intelligent messages. Uh, so you sort of figure out math and do all that sort of stuff. And then you become an inter intergalactic species. And what, what I sort of argue in my piece is like, he's missed like six or seven steps. And in my piece, I kind of put in there that, you know, we need to actually, as a species, uh, kind of like, I, I think I talk a little bit about the, the bipedalism and sort of uh, discovering fire and, you know, that transforming us. Um, so that way, more energy is actually being channeled uh, to the brain. You know, you have the development of the eyes and you have the development of the hand. And the eye, the hand-eye is very interesting because th those two organs, I think, have had the most impact on the development of the mind because the, the, the eyes perceive while the hand is actually what helps you manipulate space and the world around you uh, to be either in line with what your vision is um you know or sort of in line with what your intention or action does so so, so it's super super interesting um spengler writes about that in his book man and techniques which i really highly 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 recommend and anyway uh in there i sort of talk about like hey we, we need to discover money we need to discover a means for cooperating as a species that that is actually a fundamental step on this uh sort of series of steps uh, to get through a great filter and then you know from that you know there, there's some other things like you know we need to develop technology great enough to uh you know potentially fly and all that sort of shit but in there I, I make the argument that we're racing against time and a couple of the uh potential threats particularly in the great filter context is that we might get wiped out by an asteroid uh we could turn the world into like some dystopian fucking gulag, which we tried to do over the last couple of years and still trying to do. Uh, we could, you know, I don't know, accidentally spawn some sort of AI that obsoletes us, which we seem to try to be doing as well. Um, and I think there was another fourth sort of danger in there that I, that I argue. So, so I kind of say that humanity or, or a sentient species like us would be evolving at a pace that its technical capacity might cause it to blow itself up if the underlying incentives for cooperation are skewed. And this is where I argue that Bitcoin is actually the thing that fixes the goddamn incentives so that we don't actually wipe ourselves off the face of the planet and gives us the capacity to also potentially one day protect ourselves from some sort of intergalactic threat you know, whether it's an asteroid or some shit coming to hit us, like we might be able to build a, you know, a global baseball bat, you know, to whack it out of the sky, for example. Uh, but that won't happen if we're squandering all of our capital on trying to be fucking communists um, or trying to lock ourselves down or trying to print money or try and build dick pick apps, right? Like we, we have to sort that out first uh, in order to have any, any possibility of protecting ourselves from anything greater. Um, or uh, kind of avoid the other catastrophes or cataclysms that are self-induced uh, by uh, having really poor incentives. So, so that that's I know it's a long answer, but uh, you know the great filter is a big big topic. It's a it's a standalone topic, and I think I, I make a strong case for Bitcoin being sort of the last step through the great filter. No, it's a good answer. Uh, it is an enormous topic and uh, it's something that I think a lot of people in the Bitcoin space need to explore. Um, I'm going to park that article there, the fire teleportation and Bitcoin, just for a second, because you brought up something that I did want to uh, hit on later on in our chat. 
And that was uh, this idea that people are just simply not innovating on the right things in our world. So we have this thing called the great stagnation and, you know, Peter Thiel and all of his good friends like Eric Weinstein always talk about, uh, you know, why is our physical world not actually innovating or changing like over the past 50 to 60 to 70 years? And you just touched mm-hmm. on it then. People are doing stupid shit like they're building dick pic apps and they're not actually innovating on the world of, of, uh, atoms or all, all the innovation is in the world of bits over the past 60 to 70 years so i'd love to ask you about that and how bitcoin could potentially solve this issue of the great stagnation that we're seeing in our world today well yeah i mean the the, the innovating in bits and bytes of uh, innovating in atoms is, is a big one and I, I tried to talk about this with sailor when i when i had him on the pod um yeah. last year and we, we didn't really get time to get into it you know we all know what Sable's like, you know, he goes off on a tangent, you know, speaks for four hours before he can get a word in. And um, and anyway, my, my whole sort of point of argumentation was we, we've had obviously incredible progress in the virtual space, but much of that is, uh, I think, number one, misguided um, because it's, it's sort of not rooted in reality. It doesn't sort of have costs associated with, thing, you know, with anything – um, you know, I mean, you look at all the shit coiners, for example, the, you know, the very concept of proof of stake is just a, you know, non-realistic uh, false innovation uh, masquerading as real innovation um, for people that are basically just trying to print their own money. So we're sort of like playing these games of you know, intellectual fellatio or virtual fellatio because um, we're, we're basically too stupid weak, high time preference oriented, um, impatient, and lack the coordination to solve real problems in the world of atoms. Like, was you know, the houses we live in still suck. I mean, you know, you could, you can argue where there's greater coordination, um, and more, you know, fiscal responsibility, for example, which, you know, has traditionally been the West, you have good architecture, you know, like if you want to go see really bad architecture, go to South America, go to fucking uh, Africa, go to, go to the Balkans, like go to Turkey, go to all those fucking places. And, and you'll see, like, I've traveled through all of these places, you know, the doors don't cl- close properly, you know, the fucking windows don't work, like the, you know, the electronics are fucked up, the power is always going out and all that sort of stuff. But unfortunately, it's coming to the West. And what that means is it, it shows a lack of competence in the, the coordination, so it's a lack of competence in the skills required to actually do something because we seem to be getting dumber, but also a lack of coordination that is required in order to bring people together to actually execute on, you know, a mission or building something or delivering something. And, you know, what, what, is, the, what is the tool used for coordination? Money. And I think the more we break the money, the more retarded we collectively get and uh, or all we can do then is kind of like, you know, I, I've, I've used this analogy before is that, you know, that Indian bodybuilder who's pumped up his biceps full of synthol, right? The guy looks like a fucking retard. Uh, and that's basically what the, um, what the global economy is at the moment is this like synthol, uh, out of, sh- out of shape, deformed, pumped up version of a bodybuilder that thinks he's big, but we've only just got money just going to the quickest Ponzi pump and dump that can be developed uh, in order to turn, you know, VC money into something else. And then sort of, it, it all sort of filters upstream from there. So it's, it's a really, really, really weird place that we're in. And you know, as we all say, I think it's a function of, you know, having broken, broken money, basically. No, I definitely tend to agree with that. And that uh, it was actually, I think he did three different interviews with Sailor that was posted on the Bitcoin magazine feed. Uh, they were brilliant. So I would encourage the listener to go and check those out. Uh, did you do that in one sitting or did you record? Yeah, that was one sitting, five hours, bro. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> That's savage. And I, yeah. I definitely wanted to ask you about 
a very interesting topic uh, in that discussion because you very, very, very rarely see Michael Saylor actually speechless after being asked a question. But you kind of posed a really interesting question. You guys were talking about the topic of matter versus, you know, what matters. And I think Mm -hmm. this kind of dovetails along this kind of discussion of technological stagnation or just simply technological progress. And you make a really interesting point in there. Let me know about completely uh, misphrase this, but you're kind of saying something along the lines of we've seen really, really rapid uh, and enormous technological advancement as a civilization over the past 500 years, but morally (laughs) we haven't seen the same progress. So Mm -hmm. I would love for you to expand on that topic of matter versus, you know, actually what matters. Yeah, so so the idea is, you know, matter is the study of the material realm and sort of what matters is more metaphysical in nature. It's, you know, it's concerned with uh, what you do and how you do it um, and who you are in the process of doing it, right? So, you know, the, the former being in the material realm, sort of the study of matter is, you know, engineering or science or mathematics or something like that, whereas, you know, what matters might be theology, philosophy, psychology, you know, these sort of intangibles. Um, And what's interesting about the two is that in the study of matter, progress uh, means like moving forward, you know, things changing, you know, getting better and faster and adapting and all that sort of stuff. Whereas uh, in the other one, in the study of what matters, progress is really like if you make progress and you change a lot, you're actually doing something wrong. Uh, the study of what matters should sort of, uh, you know, should display a a common thread or like a golden thread, if I'm going to use Jordan Peterson's sort of work. It's like principles generally stay the same. Um, and those sorts of principles were figured out by people in the ancient times, figured out by people in the medieval times, figured out by people in the you know later uh, feudal times feed up by people in sort of the, the modern age. And the ones that are most consistent are generally most true. Now, when you try and apply the lens of, uh, uh, when you, yeah, when you try and apply the process or the, 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 the ideology of matter onto what matters and you try and make it progressive, I mean, that's, that's why you have progressives, right? Like, you know, they, they believe in treating morality, morality like, fucking metal or steel, you know, like let's just uh, progressively overload the steel, add carbon and, you know, turn it into something like add carbon to iron and turn it into steel, right? Like let's add hormones to dudes until they turn into women, you know, let's like, it's, it's madness. And so I think sort of each of them has their, um, their own methodologies and and they, they sort of live in, different realms and um and i think part of where the error has gone is that we've seen so much progress in the study of um of matter that we've tried to transpose that onto the study of what matters and we've kind of lost ourselves in that like everything's become relative you know everything's you know there's no such thing as morality there's nothing there's nothing objective for example like all of that kind of stuff um you know has brought us to a place where you know, nothing actually matters, right? Like, and that, that's the problem that we're facing today more than anything else is that nobody believes anything matters and you sort of find yourself in, in a state of nihilism. And you know, we can talk about why I think Bitcoin fixes this, but like, I, yeah, I, I just think this is a really important point. I actually wrote an entire article dedicated to this um, when I was doing my Jordan Peterson series. And I think it's this... The second or the third article in that series, um, I think it's, yeah, Bitcoin Chaos and Order. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. Um, so anyway, thank, thank you for bringing that one up because I think it's a really important point. No, it really is. Um, it's, it's up there with uh, the Fire Bitcoin and Teleportation one for me. I thought it was a Thanks, really man. interesting article. Um, talk about a little bit why you think Bitcoin uh, could fix that before we jump back into the discussion on aliens and the Great Filter. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, my guess and my, my new book actually that's going to come out uh, in a couple of months, The Bushido of Bitcoin, uh, that one I kind of talk, try and ask the question about like, you know, 
a moral dimension to the universe and you know what impact does bitcoin have on human beings and their behavior um and can we sort of can we approach the study of what matters again um as more um virtuous and moral beings as opposed to you know a bunch of uh mercantile or commercially oriented fucking heathens that just want to make a quick buck, you know, and flip whatever they want, um, you know, when they can. So, um, anyway, to, to sort of, sort of answer your question, um, I think Bitcoin helps with this. It might not fix it entirely, but it helps with it because of like the, the, the real risk of loss in the material realm and sort of the lack of being able to socialize poor behavior and losses on someone else it kind of it basically localizes consequence in some sense and then all of these uh ideas around like what matters start to be the method via which you want to kind of operate or you know it becomes the north star by which you want to orient yourself because you know, if you do the right thing, if you are honorable, if you're, you know, loyal, if you're respectful, if you're duty bound, you know, if you're courageous, if you have self-control, like all of these virtues and morals, which are kind of principles, timeless principles, if you behave that way, you'll actually have a, you know, higher success in life in also the material realm. So, so I think, you know, by, by Bitcoin sort of making material consequences, uh, real and localized again, um, my guess is that People will seek to, they'll have an economic incentive to seek out uh, better means of, you know, behaving. And we all know the best means of behaving are sort of like these timeless principles. Um, so we kind of get back to, get back to that. So anyway, that's, that's sort of my, my thinking or my thesis. Yeah, I love it. Um, so something you, you, I know, I'm not sure if you've written about this, but you talk about it a lot in podcasts. You talk about the fact that Bitcoin is reintroducing economic consequence of, on the world. I, I think yeah. that's a really, I think that's, that pretty much sums up how Bitcoin fixes that in particular. Yeah. Well, to, to that point, so I, I haven't written a specific article about it, but I've written, uh, about that idea in many articles, basically, but um, the the only the only update I've made to that idea is that I've just updated instead of reintroducing economic consequence, I call it reintroducing local economic consequence, meaning that the consequence is closer to the actor, right? Because at the moment, we actually what I realized is that economic consequence hasn't gone anywhere. All well, it's just it's just been shifted onto somebody else. That's it. So. You know, blowing up trains and you know derailing them and printing a bunch of money and locking the world down and everything. There's actually an economic consequence. You know, people are poorer, things cost more. Like we have royally fucked up a whole lot of things, uh, but the consequence is not borne by the decision makers, and that's that's what I think uh, Bitcoin helps with. I like that. That's really interesting. Um, so I would encourage the listener to go and read that article. Was that uh, Bitcoin chaos and order from memory? Bitcoin Chaos and Order, yeah, the second part of the Jordan Peterson series. Yeah, that's another book on my long list of uh, things to read. I haven't quite read um, enough of Peterson as I would like. Um, but Alex, I want to jump back into talking about uh, that piece, Bitcoin Fire and Teleportation, because we were kind of talking about the great filter there for a few minutes. Um, and I think we were just about to start talking about uh, something that you've coined as the Nakamoto scale. Um, because <laughs> everybody talks about the Kardashev scale. Um, so maybe we could start by discussing what the Kardashev scale is and uh, what you think uh, Nikolai, was it Nikolai Kardashev? I can't. It is, yeah, Nikolai, yeah. Yeah, well, I might I might also uh, share my screen and uh, show a couple of the charts that you've uh, popped into that article while you're talking because yeah, let's uh, there's, do it. there's some brilliant charts in there. So if you are listening in on the podcast, this is your reminder to head on over to the YouTube channel and uh, check out the charts Alex and I are talking about. So the Great Filter, Alex, what's your thoughts? Yes, so so the Great Filter or the Kardashev scale? Which one do you want me to go to? Or Kardashev scale? Kardashev scale, sorry. Okay, so so the Kardashev scale is this. Uh, so obviously, Nikolai Kardashev is a mathematician, physicist, and he kind of 
tried to measure or, or create a model to understand uh, the progression of a sentient species, humanity being the, the focal point here, uh, through the lens of energy usage, right? And he kind of talked about, I think, about a type 1, type 2, type 3, basically. And type two, type 1 is, uh, you know, basically a, a fossil fuel-oriented type of civilization that is, you know, harnessing, um, harnessing, you know, the, the, the energy of the whole globe, right? And that's sort of... Type type one, type two is where you know we expand such that we're harnessing the energy and the, of the entire solar system, I believe. Uh, and type three of the um, capable of harnessing the energy of the the galaxy. I think that's sort of the the scales. Now, you know, they're 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 huge leaps, like incredibly large leaps between the thing. And you know, modern physicists like Michio Kaku and all that sort of stuff. Which I mean. I'm sure he's a physicist and all, but Jesus Christ, it's painful to um, to listen to sometimes because, you know, they've gone out and done like type four, type five, type six, you know, multidimensional, this and that. And they're just like fucking basically no different to sci-fi writers at this point. It's, it's embarrassing to, it's embarrassing to listen to. But, you know, my, my whole point is that, look, we're never going to harness energy properly if we're not pricing it properly, first of all, like, it's just ridiculous. And this is, you know, a lot of physicists piss me off about this is that, you know, half of them are climate hysterics that uh, on one hand recognize something like the Kardashev scale, which talks about the, uh, the, the progress of civilization uh, as, you know, something that is measured through the harnessing of more energy. And then at the same time, they're advocating for, uh, I don't know, using fucking solar panels and, you know, windmills, which are really low density means of like harnessing and using energy. It's, it's completely moronic. So, so that first of all, um, but then second of all, they're just, they're high in the sky. They're, they're like, they're no, there's no tangible concept or idea of how do we actually harness the energy? Um, what does that mean? How do we price it? Um, and, you know, but but by what means do we actually um, create this? Now, I don't know if you've got um, in in these uh, screenshots anything about where I've written about the um, the Nakamoto scale because I'm trying to think of how I like what what I did there, like my stages. Um, yeah, so we have yeah. So we have kind of uh, for anyone listening, and I've just pulled up a couple of the charts. So this little section here is talking about uh, <laughs> the Nakamoto scale. So if I pull that chart up, you kind of show how Bitcoin is the thing that gets us through the great filter. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, good, good, good. Thank you for the reminder. So it's been freaking two years since I wrote this. So yeah, I, I argue that sort of type type zero is sort of the emergence of Homo sapiens. And then we we only close out the type one when we've gone through the great filter and we actually uh basically get onto a uh onto an energy money standard so that the, the whole premise of this article here is like i kind of call bitcoin energy money and and i think it was breedlove who first coined this i think he said you know if satoshi called bitcoin energy money uh we would have like uh skipped a lot of the a lot of the drama but anyway whatever so so bitcoin is energy money and we only really enter the next stage of civilizational progress after energy money because if we don't get that first of all there's a high likelihood that we blow ourselves up or disappear and not get through the great filter but more importantly is we will never master energy until we get on an energy money standard and that's the whole point of uh, my whole uh, uh, nakamoto scale is that we we sort of move into becoming a type 2 civilization post hyper bitcoinization um, and then I don't even like bother talking about like what is then, uh, you know, post uh, type two and sort of emerging into type three. Like, I don't fucking know. Like, and anyone who says they know and anyone who wants to build a model and start conceptualizing, you know, type four, type five, type six is just, uh, you know, they're sci-fi people, basically. Like, they're not physicists and they're not anything realistic because, you know, we're so far away from... 
uh, hyper-Bitcoinization, let alone you know, true harnessing of uh, solar system scale energy that, you know, it's, it's just not even a conversation to be had. And then, you know, I kind of, as a joke in, um, in my image, I kind of say beyond type three is, you know, the next simulation, which is <laughs> you know, at that point, like, you know, who knows really. Right. So, so that's kind of the way I kind of view it. And, and I think that that's a better scale than the Kadasha scale, which you know talks about these things conceptually, but doesn't have any relationship to actual energy usage or the means via which we measure and value energy, which has to be energy money. Like that, that's the big piece that's missing from all of this stuff. Energy money is the big thing. That's the thing that Nikola Tesla saw in the 1800s. That's the thing that Henry Ford predicted that one day we would get in the early 1900s. Uh, like that's the invention, energy money. And I, I just, I love the article, man. I like, honestly, it frames energy money alongside fire and alongside our future innovation, which could be uh, teleportation. Uh, you kind of, you kind of say it could be anything. We don't know uh, what we may invent in the future. That's going to be as revolutionary as Bitcoin. Um, totally. totally. Um, and I, I recommend anybody like, again, just shameless plug here, shameless shill, but if they want to see this like in full gloss as a collectible, so the Bitcoin Times is available at bitcointimes.io. And um, and if you pick up a piece, um, edition four is beautiful. It's called A New Hope. And it's um it's in there and you, you get the whole the whole visual and touch and feel experience. And there's only twenty one hundred of each ever printed. So it's like an actual collectible. It's the bomb. I've seen them in person, but I haven't got my hands uh, on one for myself for the wall. I'm actually planning on trying to get, I want to get, like, I know you were talking about this in a podcast a while ago. I want to try to get my hands on like edition number 21 or edition number 50 of every single series. So I've got. Yes, yes, I, yes, yes. I, I want to get that kind of set up, but I would encourage well, the listener. I was going to say 21, you can try. Um, so copy, so basically just, just for people to conceptualize this properly. So you've got. There'll be 21 editions over 21 years. So I do one a year. So we're up to edition five. Last year was edition five, and that was like Seyfedine, Goldstein, um, Pierre, Conrad, Raheem, and Parker Lewis, and myself. That was the Austrian edition. So each each edition is the best. Like this year, we're doing the energy edition, actually, and that's going to have uh, Marty Bent and a couple of other interesting people in there. Um, but the, the premise is, so 21 editions over 21 years, and each edition will be printed uh, there'll be 2,100 prints of each edition um, and they're uniquely numbered on the back. So as you said, like you want to sort of match the number. So I know Mark Moss, for example, buys uh, number uh, issue number 10 of every edition, um, but issue number 21, that's going to be auctioned. Uh, so I'm saving those up. That's going to be auctioned. So they'll, they'll go for a much heftier price. But you know, if you've got a special number, for example, like, you know, a birthday or whatever, like I know one guy loves his double eights. So he's he, he actually bought two sets, 288 and 388. Uh, because you missed out on the 188 but yeah there's they're 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 true bitcoin collectibles no that's very very uh they're, they're very cool man i love the idea of it too 21 years Thanks, you're gonna do a new edition every year 2100 copies uh no i love it i'm gonna uh once i get to find a house to actually settle down in i'm gonna uh, get every one of those 21 editions up i'm gonna put them on a wall um absolutely but maybe that gives us a jumping off point to talking about the next topic I want to discuss. Um, I The reason I'm not settling down or, you know, buying a house right now is because I think the next few years are probably going to be the most chaotic years in human history. And uh, that's something you explore in uh, a lot of your writings and work. And in this piece, Fire, Bitcoin and Teleportation, you talk about something called the Great Transition. Uh, you and I are both kind of digital nomads, I believe. We've both left Australia for pretty good reason, and uh, we. I, well, I don't. I don't want to speak for you, but I don't have any intention on uh, moving back to Australia until we actually transition onto a Bitcoin standard. Um, so, and and that's because I believe the next few years are going to be pretty chaotic pretty turbulent, pretty volatile, and I personally want to be pretty nimble. So uh, maybe you can talk to us about uh, what the great transition is. Yeah, so, I mean, I think about this, uh, this process of going from where we are today, which is, you know, hands down clown world, uh, and where we end up 
you know, post-Bitcoin standard. And, and essentially the, the transition I kind of count as it started in 2008 with the, with the release of the white paper, October 31st, you know, or arguably started Gen 3, uh, 2009, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, may, maybe that's a better starting date because that's when you know, the first block of Bitcoin, the Genesis block was mined. And the great transition will go on until we're, you know, into hyper-Bitcoinization. Now, I don't know whether that's going to be until 2140 when the last block is mined, uh, you know, or sorry, not the last block, but the, you know, the last block reward, sorry, is mined. Um, I don't know if that's going to be sooner or what, but basically we're going to go through this transition where the, the paradigm has to fundamentally shift. Like we, we live in a fiat world, things are backwards, like the incentives are all skewed. Um, and I think it's fundamentally incompatible with how the world will function on a Bitcoin standard because Bitcoin is so much more than a technological revolution. It's a social revolution. It's an economic revolution. It's a behavioral revolution. It's all of these things. It, it, tra it transforms fucking everything. And I shouldn't use the word revolution anymore. I'm trying to stop saying that because the actual, the, the actual meaning of the word revolution is, um, is something that doesn't change. It was kind of the leftists and progressives have fucked that word up, um, you know, that the revolution around the uh, of, of the earth around the sun means that you know there's a stable center point, um, whereas you know, revolutions come to mean overturning stuff. So let me say transformation, right? So Bitcoin is a transformation of all of these sorts of things. So the the great transition or the interregnum, uh, which is sort of a word that was used for um, the period between two kings, is going to be messy. And th this is the thing we, we've got to live through this, right? And I don't know, like a lot of people have this sort of rosy picture of, you know, Bitcoin fixes everything. If you if you close your eyes hard enough and say that Bitcoin fixes this and tweet it, that everything's going to be fine. And and I just don't subscribe to that sort of, you know, rosy, rose-colored glass sort of theory of the world. I think that there's going to be a shitload of scamming during this transition. And whether that's scamming of like, People just basically like, you know, the, the classic phishing scamming and, you know, uh, exit scams like SBF and all that sort of stuff, or whether it's shitcoin scamming or whatever it is. I think there's going to be loads of that because we're, we're somewhere in between, like the, the ability to take advantage of someone and the information asymmetry that's available uh, is going to sort of create incentives for that to happen. But... The thing, the thing, and this is going to be the tricky part for humanity is like, can we go cold turkey and can we sort of transition across, right? And, and this is like, you look at uh, junkie, junkie is sort of the great transition for the junkies going cold turkey, right? Is like, while he's pumping his veins full of heroin, he feels great. Um, after he, you know, goes through the cold turkey for three weeks and all that sort of stuff, he starts to feel good again and it builds up strength and all that sort of stuff. So, so the before and after are kind of two incompatible, um, Periods, but the, the the interregnum, the transition period, is awfully painful, and that's what we've sort of got to go through and endure. And hopefully, you know, on the other end, what happens is the incentive structure is different. Uh, the ability to take advantage of people who will have, over time and iteration and mistakes and everything, learnt how to either secure their Bitcoin or not get scammed or know that you know shit coins are pump and dumps or whatever other things are going to emerge over the coming decades. Um, you'll, you'll have a people who are fundamentally more, um, more robust, more intelligent, harder to scan. And then, you know, layering that onto a Bitcoin standard, then, you know, you, you have a completely different world. So anyway, that's sort of my, my theory is that it, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse before it gets better. Um, but it's a necessary worst that we have to just go through the same way as a junkie has to go through cold Turkey to come out on the other end. And that's really what civilization is today. So is a fiat crack junkie. It's a very, uh, that's a polite way to put it. Uh, the yeah, the yeah. Fiat, fiat economy is all sorts of messed up. Um, how about, how do you see it uh, personally from for yourself? Like uh, if you have, you know, your, your family around you, uh, would you prefer to be uh, somewhere like a, uh, would you prefer to like own a home in like a Texas or a Florida? Or would you prefer to be more nimble, kind of hopping around from country to country? Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. At this point, like it's, I think it really depends on people's, um, like, you know, you, you, for example, are a single guy, you know, you're not married, you don't have kids and dependents and all that sort of stuff. So for you, it makes a whole lot of sense to, you know, jump around. Um, whereas someone who 
doesn't have that like got kids and family and all that sort of stuff it makes jumping around really like complicated and then it also depends on how stupid you are online like you know idiots like me who've painted a target on their back um you know it's just i, I don't know what fucking airport i'm gonna have dramas at just because i've said something on twitter about you know medicine or um or anti-medicine venom maybe we should call it um or, or lockdowns <laughs> or whatever right so so i don't know like and and that kind of freaks me out so then i think you know it makes more sense for people to i don't know like settle somewhere build some networks you know build a build a tribe and get their shit together and um and do that so I, i'm always sort of between um I, I think it really depends on the person's situation and, and their temperament. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you touched on something there, uh, lockdowns. You wrote mm-hmm. a, another brilliant article. I think it was Bitcoin and lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And in it, you were kind of talking about, there's a really interesting quote. You said, uh, I think the quote was something along the lines of, you believe the last 5 billion people to adopt Bitcoin will actually adopt it faster than the first 5 million people who adopted it. So this is kind of talking a little bit about this great transition that we see onto a Bitcoin standard. How do you see the kind of timeline of this transition taking place? Do you think it could be really rapid, like uh, 5 billion people trying to rush into the Bitcoin network quickly, or do you see it more prolonged? Yeah, this is interesting. When I wrote that, that was that was 2020, right? And mm. you know, and here we are, two years later, maybe almost three years later. And you know, my thinking's evolved a little bit. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's not you know five million, five billion. Like maybe it's um, you know, the 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 last five billion is as quick as the first uh, five hundred million. You know, that might be a little bit more accurate. Perhaps who knows. But what I was trying to point out at that point was that um, once sort of the the threshold is crossed where we move from, you know, people wanting Bitcoin to people needing Bitcoin, you, you get a very, very fast paradigm shift. Um, now, that, that could, man, that could well happen actually still because I'm about to release an article for Bitcoin Magazine uh, in a couple of weeks. So it'll be end of Feb. That's called my three-generation theory which is an attempt to kind of tell people that, hey, as much as we want to project technological adoption curves onto Bitcoin, uh, it's a socioeconomic phenomenon as much as it is a technological phenomenon. So that takes a number of generations to filter through and become the norm, which means, you know, generations have to sort of filter out and die off. And, you know, kids need to kind of, the, the ones who grew up, at the, you know, or, or born at the same time Bitcoin was, you know, in 2008, 2009, like they, they didn't know of a world before Bitcoin. Like they're the ones who's, you know, when they hold the resources in 20 or 40 years, like, you know, one or two generations from now, that the way they treat Bitcoin will be very, very different. Now, you know, will that mean that, you know, that's the point at which this last 5 billion comes on? Um, you know, maybe, maybe. And then that's sort of where we get like a real fast, like, you know, powerful sort of paradigm shift. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but that was kind of what I was referring to. So, um, you know, it, it, it may still stand. It may be that the first 5 million took, you know, five years. Uh, you know, the first 500 million is going to take 15, 20 years. Um, and then the next, you know, billion or two might take, you know, another 20 years. And then we sort of reach a tipping point where then the last 5 billion are in a matter of a couple of years and you know maybe my maybe my original theory stands true i hope i'm alive to see whether it comes true or not that'll be really that'll be really epic you and me both uh, i think yeah. it's certainly directionally correct uh, i think the last five billion people are gonna come onto the bitcoin network pretty quickly uh alex we've got a hard stop coming up uh you have so many good articles you've even got a book that we didn't even get a chance to dive into today so i'm gonna have to have you back on the podcast at some stage but give us uh give the listeners uh, a little handoff where can they find you uh online so thank you my friend for having me on let's let's definitely do a a part two if you like we can go dig into some more pieces and if you want to do a whole series we can do that too happy to jam with you um as much as you want um, yeah, there's a lot, lots of material to dig into, but basically, uh, 
people can find me on Twitter at Svetsky Writes, uh, so like writing, W-R-I-T-E-S, uh, or if they just type in svetsky.info online, they'll get to my link tree, and there's a bunch of links to things there. Um, depending on when they're listening to this, um, you know, if they want to support the Bushido of Bitcoin, which is the new book that I'm writing, um, they can go and I'll, I'll have a little crowdfund on Geyser for that, so people can use some sets to pre pre-buy or pre-order the book. Um, and then I I would love people to support the the Bitcoin Times um, and go and check that out. So bitcointimes.io. Uh, they will be super glad that they did because I can promise you it's like some of the best collection. It's probably the best publication that is purely a collection of essays um, in the world on Bitcoin. And the fact that I'm printing it as a collectible means that, you know, you'll own a piece of Bitcoin history that you can, you know, hopefully pass down to the generations that come after you. And, you know, they'll read it and they'll be like, fucking hell, that was some cool shit. Like, look at what these guys did, the pioneers, you know, it'll be, it'll be wild. I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on your upcoming article in Bitcoin magazine and uh, obviously the Bitcoin times. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. It was honestly a pleasure uh, having you on the podcast. Your work really has inspired um, a lot of my articles and actually what a few of your articles have actually inspired a chapter in my soon to be released book as well so oh well uh yeah so not just blowing smoke up your ass because i'm a fellow australian your work is profound and it's had a big impact on me so keep doing what you're doing keep writing and uh, i'm gonna have to get you back for a part two because there's so much more to explore for sure thank you my friend thanks brother so what did you guys think of that interview with Alex Spetsky? Do you think we're a little bit crazy or do you think Bitcoin is the answer to pushing us through the great filter? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you enjoyed this one, feel free to slap a like on it and make sure you subscribe to the channel because we have a number of very thought-provoking interviews coming up. I'm actually getting Alex back on the podcast to discuss this puppy right here. Alex wrote a book in 2022 titled The Un communist manifesto and i think uh breaking down this book is going to be very important to do in uh 2023 as we have communism spreading the world so if you want to stay tuned for that interview subscribe to the channel and make sure you don't miss our upcoming interviews with luke Broyles, eric Kaysen, and of course jess hodler from plan b passports i have a number of crackers lined up for you guys in the not too distant future before we close this thing out i want to quickly thank today's show sponsors if you're going to the Bitcoin Miami conference in 2023, it's only a couple of months away and you guys would probably want 10% off your tickets. You can get that 10% discount if you use the promo code COINBEAST. Link to that one will be in the description as well as a link to the Foundation Passport hardware wallet, okay? If you guys are going to be buying Bitcoin, you want to be keeping it in your own custody. And the Foundation Passport wallet is one of the most attractive hardware wallets there is on the market. And you guys can get $10 off that bad boy if you use promo code BEAST. And last but certainly not least, if you guys sign up with Swam Bitcoin, we're actually going to give you guys $10 of free Bitcoin. If you sign up with Swan using the promo code BEAST, again, links to all the show sponsors is in the description of today's show. And with all that said, I hope you guys have a good day and I'll see you all in the next interview.